This Talking Flutes podcast is kindly sponsored by Trevor James Flutes, making life sound beautiful. You can show them some flute love by following them on Instagram at TJ Flutes, Trevor James Flutes on Facebook, and at trevorjamesflutes.com. Hello, this is Talking Flutes, and I'm Claire Southworth, and today I'm chatting to the fabulous flutist and educator, Abigail Burrows. Hello, Abby. Hello, thank you for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. Now, I've read about your flute journey, and it really reminds me of my own, because we've both got links with the Purcell School and the Royal Academy, and our playing careers have both had a, a sort of really eclectic mix Plus, we both live by the seaside. We um, do. I think we're both so lucky to have such diverse jobs. So I'd love you to talk to us about, I mean, you've done so much in your career to date, but could we start from the beginning about how your flute playing first began? Because I think you were at the Purcell School really early, weren't you? Sure, yes. I was um, young when I, when I started there. I first heard a flute when I was four years old. I was at a concert that my brother was playing in at school. He plays the double bass and I was very bored and um, and then someone came on with a flute and one of those sort of moments you know I just didn't know something could sound like that and it also looked so sparkly and like a sword you know it was just amazing and uh, yeah I, I desperately wanted to play it but I was a bit too young you know, being four years old I think my <laughs> parents couldn't find anyone to teach me and I begged for one I drove my parents up the wall because I get quite obsessive over things and I was absolutely adamant that I needed to play it. I sort of studied it, listened to it, made one, I think, you know, out of various things around the house, toilet rolls and stuff. <laughs> and then when I was seven, I went for a consultation lesson and uh, they still said I'd be too young because I just turned seven, I think by a month or so. The local music service said I might be too young, but he'd give me a go. And I managed to get a, a note out the flute and I was so passionate about it that he agreed to teach me. And that yeah, that's how- A standard flute, Abby, or was that a curved head flute? No, it was a standard flute, which, wow. you know, not ideal, but it was my beloved Yamaha 211, um, <laughs> 2T, my flute. I treated it a bit like a pet. It went everywhere with me. Um, and, <laughs> um, it had a little place in bed, you know. I used to put it to bed, poor thing. But uh, yeah, I, I managed to get a sound out of it. And I must admit, that was my first lesson. I think there was some kind of um, divine intervention because actually by the second one, it got a bit harder. But there was a sort of moment of like a big sound. And um, yeah, and I absolutely, I mean, I loved it. I was, I was obsessed with it like nothing else. So that becomes a passion, doesn't it? So how did you arrive at the Purcell School? What age did you go there? um i i auditioned when i was eight early very soon after i sort of i can i say i was yeah very obsessed so i worked very hard very early on i sort of skipped grades quick and then yeah i i auditioned for purcell when i was eight and went there when i was nine and i went for nine years well and were you boarding from the from the age of eight no um i had quite an unusual situation my had very happy home life and my parents you know were reluctant to send me to to boarding school but also they 
saw it as a great opportunity, you know, for me to pursue music, which I was so obsessed with. Well, actually, no, more just the flute, actually. It was all flute, flute, flute. <laughs> but I didn't, wasn't so into music, funny enough. It was just the flute. But um, my mum would take me on the train. We lived in um, Bletchley yeah. in Milton Keynes, and she took me on the train all the way. It was in Harrow back then, the school. And she'd take me to Harrow on the train, and then I'd get the school minibus. And it was sort of a two-hour journey to and from school, which was it was quite long at that age. That's incredible. That is a long, long time. And my mum, bless her, she was a dinner lady as well. So she'd take me to school, go back and do her afternoon job for lunch, come back and get me, take me home again. And that was every day. It was quite a commitment. What dedication. It's incredible how many of us have have parents who, who really put themselves out in order for us to sort of do, continue our passion, follow our passion, isn't it? Absolutely. Well, my, my, my parents are both really musical. They're not, they're not actually musicians themselves, but, you know, they are, they're music lovers and definitely musicians. You know, they've got a, a fine ear and, you know, support the arts and go to lots of concerts and love it. So very lucky to have. Um, and I was, also, I was also very similar. Now, so you were at the Purcell for a long time. And then where did you go? Oh, well, <laughs> it gets a bit quirky now. I went to um, the Royal College of Music after Purcell School, but I, I'm a bit of a rogue because I, uh, I didn't complete my degree. To be honest, I failed my first year. They let me stay, and then I failed my second year as well. So I had a spectacular fall from grace, and uh, they, they, they were going to let me continue, but I think it was sort of obvious all round that I needed a bit of a break. And uh, I took a gap year, which has been a very long time now. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think the, the problems at the Royal College were because of the intensity of the specialist school? It's a really good question. I wouldn't have had my musical journey be any other way. Mm. And I, you know, the training that I had, you know, at, at Purcell was, was, you know, was wonderful, but it was more just actually, it was more personal. It was, um, I had burnout. Mm. Um, Cause I had a sort of, I got quite far quite early and mm. I was a sort of child performer you know, and um, I was doing some sort of really prestigious things and lots of traveling and quite a busy concert diary, you know, from a, from a really young age. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I didn't manage the transition into adulthood as a musician. And uh, I I just absolutely had burnout. I couldn't play anymore. I couldn't find um, any expression or any, you know, and I actually started to dislike it. That's so um, sad. But, you know, I, I'm sorry to put you on the spot, but I also I taught for many years at Cheatham School of Music, too. And I, I come across so many players who've come through the specialist schools and have had fantastic education, but have also had a bit of burnout. And I know quite a few have taken time out to sort of regroup and, you know, just have some time off before they come back. So it's a very brave thing to do and and um, very refreshing to hear, actually. So well done you. Oh, thank you. Well, it was, you know, it's unconventional. And I, to be yeah. honest, I don't know if I'd ever recommend it because I had a, you know, quite a tough time, you know, but I, I also wouldn't change it for the world. It sort of shaped me into, into the sort of who I am now, you know, as a player. And yes, you know. and you couldn't be more successful with the things you've done <laughs> or go through them. I and mean, you've just had a, 
such an incredible career to date. So did you go back to a college to study or was that it then? No, I actually, I, I quit for five years. I didn't touch the instrument and five I couldn't years. even, yeah, a long time. And early on in that, I couldn't bear to go to a concert or even, I mean, I remember getting upset walking past a busker, you know, um, I couldn't be anywhere near it. It was very, because it, it was quite painful as well, because like you say, you know, like we said earlier as well about all the support that you have, mm. you get support and everything from your your parents, your your teachers, um, everyone that, that invested in you and, 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 and nurtured you. And it almost felt like I was um, ungrateful, you know, by, yeah. by leaving it all behind. So it was very sort of tough um, psychologically. And also just very sad. I just couldn't do it anymore. But it got, yeah, I did five years of, I hate to sort of term, but, you know, normal jobs. Yeah. <laughs> and then I, I, I really missed it. And I I did go back to training, but I, I didn't go back to an institution. I, I considered it. And the Royal College actually were very kind to me. And I had even a meeting with them. But no, I, I just had private lessons. I had private lessons with them. Um, I'd studied with Anna Pope at the Purcell School. She was fabulous. And um, I've been very lucky with my teachers. And and then when I restarted uh, after my my hiatus, it was um, Michael Cox yep. and Robert Wynn. And yeah, I studied with them privately and I took my lessons ever so seriously because I had a lot of catching up to do. So <laughs> it was a tough time because I had to work, survive in London, yeah. but also pay for all my flute lessons and also find time to practice and when you're handing over your sort of um you know handing over your cash you know that you've earned yes and the, you know it, it's I mean I, I would have my lessons I would go and write notes afterwards I would you know practice in, intensively and is that a word Inten but um yeah I, I um yeah fought pretty hard to kind of get back in my, my foot back into the industry and to but you certainly did get back into the industry Abby I mean you're the things you do are amazing. Now, let's go through a few of the things that you do. So you, you play in orchestras and chamber groups and you do musicals. You play in the West End. Are you doing the West End at the moment? Um, I, I am, yeah. I, I'm, I'm a deputy and I dep, um, I dep on um, it's uh, Lion King, which is a lot of fun. Mary Poppins, uh, Phantom and Les Mis. Wow, how exciting. So you've got to play a huge amount of ethnic flutes, don't you? Oh, for Lion King, yeah, it's terrifying, but uh, but really nice, really nice. That's a, that's a, it's a good one. You've got, I've even got to do some pan pipes, which is really out of the comfort zone. But That is um, so clever. Did you have to sort of learn the instruments or had, had you already been dabbling? Yes, there's a there's a lot to learn, and I, I must admit, I I I learned the show rather than the instrument the instruments themselves. But if I have more time, it's my aim to to learn, you know, these these flutes properly because it's a whole different way of playing, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Well, I think it's so clever of you to do these to these shows because I know how difficult it is when I've spoken to other people who've done them. Do you have a favourite show? Oh, my favourite show of all time is Les Mis. I've been a fan since I was a uh, since I was about eight years old I mean like a super fan I think I've seen it over 34 35 times or something <laughs> which is ridiculous <laughs> it was actually my dream to play in in the in the pit when I was yeah. when I was a kid um so to have now the chance to do it I actually I was on tour for a year before before lockdown yeah um, doing it on tour um as my as my chair but 
I, I, st- I do love it, but I, I, it sounds awful. I, I think I might prefer being in the audience. Um, <laughs> the flute part's not, it, it's okay. You know, it's good, but it's uh, my a- absolute favourite ever was a, a show called Flowers for Mrs. Harris, which was a very intimate, um, beautiful show with a, it was all very acoustic, you know, and it was uh, Richard Taylor was the composer and they did it at um, Chichester F- uh, Festival. Uh-huh. And it was just gorgeous, you know, chamber music and lovely story. It's the Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, you know, that um, lovely story. Now, I'm just thinking for the people who are listening, I was thinking, oh, I'd love to play in a show. How did you do that? How did you get to play in a show? Did you audition? Were you asked? Oh, it's a it's a brutal industry, is it? Isn't it? It's um, it's not actually I don't think it's very fair. It can be very difficult to break into because there isn't a clear, a a clear path. path. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, I don't, I, th- I think that's quite cruel, really. But I think to anyone, uh, for any advice that they, they do want to get into it, I'd say immerse yourself in the, in the industry, you know, go to shows and, you know, ask to sit in on shows as well, because a lot of players are, you know, allow that as well. So you can sit in the pit and um, listen to the show. And I think also doing things like, um, you know, the fringe um theatres you know amateur productions you know they're a huge amount of fun doing those and I think that you know get yourself good enough so that when you get your lucky break Mm. you do a good job because lightning might not strike twice you know and I do believe that for everybody in 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 any show that um in the West End they've had a lucky break it was maybe a teacher that um, gave them the chance you know to play or maybe a moment where somebody was ill and they needed someone last minute and they were desperate or you know a friend I think unfortunately it's vague like that isn't it but I think if you get yourself ready yeah that's good advice and and I think it's really good what you said about immersing yourself because you've got to show that you're keen and that you're willing and to make Mm. contacts networking is so important I agree but I yeah and and I think sometimes networking is misunderstood isn't it it's misread there's there's often a thing that's often said in the in the West End as well that that it's always about who you know and all this kind of thing but it makes it sound a bit seedy in a way you don't have to be friends or down the pub and you know it's I think that it's actually uh, deeper than that I think that there's genuine connections because there's genuine connections made by a genuine love of the theatre and the networking part of it is important but it has to be genuine as well and I think sometimes it can be this networking thing it can be misunderstood, can't it, by young people? I think it's so hard to navigate, isn't it? It's hard to navigate and it's hard to know how to sort of make contacts and how to how to sort of, if we're going to use the word network, how to network without sort of annoying people, upsetting people. It's sort of, I suppose it's it's to be yourself and have a profile and show that you're you're sort of a hard worker and you're willing to learn and and fit in. Fitting in is yeah obviously key to all these things and also be nice because no no one you know everyone's doing those shows aren't they sort of night after night they want to sit it's not sort of about being popular but they don't want to they want to sit next to someone nice you know um so you know there's yeah yeah like you said be be yourself yeah. yeah and um but it's it's 
I think it's just important to be authentic as well because I think some people especially in the show world it's quite it's better paid than some other work and that can be um intriguing but actually you've got to love the shows if you're going to play them well I think because they're they're uh, you know yeah well you've been you've been hugely successful in in doing those now what about other playing let's what let's look at the the classical field tell us a bit about your your classical side well um to be honest I mean um the classical side has been it's has been going well but it, it flourished later um in in my career for sure um I think because of my wobbly uh, beginnings in my early uh, professional career yeah I I was nervous you know to set foot in the in the classical world so I sort of hid behind being in a pit you know in a show yeah. um where I felt a bit safer and also sort of doing more sort of popular um I played with a band for a while and that was a lot of fun and and it was really important to me to to do things that I was enjoying. And also I didn't quite feel ready because I, I my standard of playing, I, I flourished, I'd say in my early thirties, I think. Uh-huh. So I don't think I was good enough to do particularly well. Not good enough is a horrible term, isn't it? But um, ready. Feeling comfortable in, in, what you're, in your ability. Yeah, yeah. So I was late. So I didn't do a lot of um, orchestral playing, a lot of classical playing. I did do, I did, you know, splatterings of things but to yeah. be honest I always felt extremely uncomfortable and <laughs> yeah um, didn't enjoy them at all but I love it now and that's something I want to do more of and I am going in as a freelancer in in sort of um in, in the orchestral setting and I love every minute of it and I'm I'm nervous in a good way you know yeah it, it, you know good nerves not yeah. not those sort of harrowing ones you know that sort of uh, crippling anxiety you know that I that has that I have suffered from in the past in that setting and I absolutely love it now so yeah I just I dip into a few orchestras on a freelance basis yeah I really enjoy it that's yeah. wonderful so um who would you say in terms of flute players who would you say has been your greatest influence um a hard one it that is a hard one. That's a really hard one. I Jean-Pierre Rampau was always my go-to, my uh-huh. favourite. My teachers, obviously, you know, have had a huge impact. And I've got huge respect for them and I love hearing them, you know, play as well. The flute itself was the superstar for me. I didn't sort of go for an icon, as it were. I mean, I have, you know, I, I loved, you know, James Galway and I love you know so many flute players but it was actually more about the the flute itself um rather than an idol but i must have i've lately i've i've been doing a flute festival and there's been lots of flute players involved lots of huge amount of of players and i've actually had so much inspiration from all of them in the last uh, few years there's been another surge if you like of, of me learning and being led by them so just I, I suppose just the whole flute community yeah. because also you you get a lot don't you you know without mean to get all sort of deep and stuff but you you as a teacher you get you get um so much from your students and from teaching them and also just from your your colleagues and your friends and the people that you're playing with but in particular yeah the flute community it's a it's a lovely group isn't it it's we all tend to be particularly obsessed I think with our instrument I don't know if that's 
true across the board of all instruments. We seem to be particularly loyal, don't we? You know, with all our activities and our our societies and our, um, you know, groups and things. And I, I just, yeah, a huge amount of inspiration from the, the whole community. Yeah, I agree. Sorry, I didn't really answer that question very well, but <laughs> yeah, that's the general. Well, definitely. <laughs> if, you could, if you could pick one highlight from your career to date, what would it be? Um, this is slightly generalised rather than highlighting a concert because, you know, I know the ones that I'd put at the top of my CV, but they're not, they're not the ones I'd pick. Actually, um, the first thing I did after coming back to music was I went into outreach work. So I did a lot with Live Music Now. So I just pick live music now as that as being the highlight of of what I, I do in music, which is you know the the places that we went into, you know the schools and and you know all the assemblies with the kids like wow flute and going into nursing homes and hospitals and hospices and prisons. I did a huge amount of that kind of work, and it was um, the most rewarding, fantastic work that I've ever done. Yeah, I did the same. Zillions of concerts in a short space of time, hospitals and prisons and nursing homes. It was brutal, wasn't it? Yeah, sometimes you do two, maybe three a day and, and yeah, on a little tour. But it's like, I mean, it was fantastic. I was devastated when I sort of, I mean, I still do outreach work now, but not quite on the same scale. It was almost felt like it was full time, you know, with with live music now. And it was just wonderful. It's an amazing scheme. Yeah, it is amazing. Now, Abby, you're also the founder of the E-Flute Festival, which sounds fascinating. Can you tell us a bit about that? Oh, it's, um, I've just finished the second one, actually. Um, the first E-Flute Festival was two years ago, and it's it was at the very beginning of the first lockdown in the UK. I have an adult flute group that I, I work with. It was, it, we had um, monthly meetings um, at All Flutes Plus in London. And I thought I wanted to do something nice with them as a group online. Because, you know, I'm, I'm very much that, you know, live is better, but, you know, online is better than nothing. And we were all, you know, it was the height of lockdown. And obviously people have a lot of time to play their flutes as well. So it's sort of perfect fluting time. So I was going to put together just a, a small thing and it just accidentally snowballed. <laughs> In and- a good way. In a really great way, but it, it was it, it snowballed bigger than I could have ever imagined. I didn't think it would go to the scale it did. And we had, I mean, we had people from 16 different countries signing up. I was asking artists to take part and then, and then that snowballed as well because everyone was free, which was very nice, you know, and people wanted to do things. So... I couldn't get it organized sort of quick enough, but I mean, it was hard work. I was sort of up until about four in the morning, you know, organizing everything. And and I just got really carried away. I, I, I think I mentioned earlier that I can get a little obsessive. And um, yeah, I, I really sort of went into a an admin hole of trying to make it as good as possible, but it's basically a big online flute festival. And yeah, it was it was a it was a huge success actually. And I I had great help from Yana, um, Yana Hunica, who I who I work with. She runs Flute School London. We we do courses together, and she she helped me. And you know, I couldn't have done it without her. It was um, it became a lot of work. Yeah, a huge amount of people, huge amount of artists. A competition. We were doing events. We were doing concerts. It was insane. I don't know what I was thinking, to be honest, but. <laughs> 
but it's fantastic, fantastic for people who could watch it because you know there are there have been some positives from COVID, and that's one of them that you know people were around. You could do things online. I mean, I couldn't. I've talked to so many people on Zoom for for this podcast that I wouldn't normally have been able to meet because they'd be too far away. We've all sort of changed direction a little bit. So there have been some positives, but I think an e-festival is a fantastic idea. So well done. Thank you. Yeah, we we did another one and it was throughout the whole of May. Uh, Sorry, uh, April, sorry. Um, It was throughout the whole of April. And uh, it had 30 artists over 30 days, like a sort of flute at Ben calendar, you know, some kind of class going on. And to be honest, I thought that this time I, I didn't think that I'd have the same response because, you know, people are out and about now and not, yeah. you know, not not locked in. But I think they want it as well. And we have an, an e-flute academy that, that, that runs uh, once a week for people that want to keep doing it. We've been doing that since the very first one. So it's... Uh, little online flute community wonderful you've tapped into a need <laughs> it was accidental and I'm <laughs> I'm absolutely the worst person for it as well I'm not going to lie I mean I live on a boat and the wi-fi is as you can probably hear I don't know if I'm cutting in and out but it's, it's dreadful um <laughs> so got into that you live on a boat how exciting just a canal oh, it, yes it's a it's a it's a wide beam so I sort of cheat a bit it's uh it's sort of a, like a floating flat a bit but it's uh no it's lovely just at times it drives me crazy and it's not really the venue to be running a uh a, an online festival you know but especially with my dog barking as well and yeah well you know the, the, <laughs> one of the last podcasts I did with John Paul Wright and I've got three retrievers and they all came home um with a from a dog a dog walk and all barking and drinking water and it was mayhem and he left it in he said oh no we'll leave this in it's fun so, <laughs> so does your boat move do you actually go up and down the canals or do you stay in one place I, I'm lazy I, I've got a mooring so I live in on a boatyard it's lovely it's an old Victorian boatyard in Tunbridge, Tunbridge next goodness. to the park it's so how do you get to the Purcell school each week um well that's that's just that's a drive it's not too bad it's sort of an hour and a hour and a half I suppose I actually love driving and it's the only time where I'm sort of guilt free of just putting the radio on um, and you know having a bit of me time without getting a bit um, anxious that I need to do something because the boat you know never mind busy life the boat is sort of a bit of a job by itself it needs maintaining so I can't just sit on it and well I can but you know sitting in a car You've got to concentrate. You've got to just relax. So I quite enjoy it. <laughs> well, I must admit, I, I recently, like like we said, you know, living by the seaside, I've recently bought a little flat in Margate, and I needed a bit of land. I was going mad. <laughs> so it's a bit of a mix now between sort of living there and and floating here. Also very exciting. Tell us about plans for the future. Have you got any? Are you going to do another e festival? I think I will because as as long as people want it, I'll keep doing it. It's it's got a lovely atmosphere, and I think because of my the, the, the sort of situation, it's very informal, and I think that that's nice. So it's low pressure, and it's got a great atmosphere with a lovely sort of following now. So as long as they still want it, I'll mm. I'll keep doing it. But I do definitely need a break because it's you know it's a lot of work. So I think I will do one, maybe in a year, maybe in two. Other plans for the future? 
I want to do more playing of the low flutes because I've really been enjoying doing a bit more work on the alto and bass flute. So I'm, I'm wanting to do a bit, bit more practice and <laughs> get better at those. And as I say, doing a little bit more of the sort of, um, you know, classical work as well. Getting back into doing some more solo concerts as well, which used to terrify me. But you're saying about the, you know, the pandemic, it's been terrible, but there has been some silver linings. Have Well, there's been some opportunities. There's been some, some yeah. good. And one of the things for me is that I managed to shed a lot of my um, performance anxiety. I now just, I just feel like I had a reset. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to sort of trying different things. And uh, put, I did some improvising the other day and that is so, you know, and to, to be honest, this as well, I was, <laughs> I am a bit nervous doing this podcast, but I might have, yeah, I'm, I'm doing, I'm pushing my personal boundaries a bit and trying to do new things and um, really enjoying it. That's my plans for the future, you know, branching out into different things. Yeah. You've got such a diverse career and it all sounds very exciting with your teaching and your playing and your outreach programs. You've made a fantastic job of it so far and I wish you every success for the future, Abby. People are listening, if you're going to the shows, if you're going to the West End, have a look down that pit and see if you can see Abby sitting there and go and say hello. And uh, Abby, thanks so much for, for joining us and your finding time in your busy life. It's been lovely to talk to you. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks ever so much. You're, you're very, very welcome. And as always, if, if anyone listening has got any questions, then you can email us on flutepodcasts at gmail.com or you can drop us a message on Twitter and Facebook. Facebook, we've got a designated page called Talking Flutes. So when you, when you hear Abby and I chat, if you want to ask her any other questions, drop us a line there or on Twitter and Instagram, it's at flute or at Claire Flute. But uh, until then, many thanks, Abby, and uh, hope we talk again soon. Definitely. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Talking Flutes and Talking Flutes Extra are podcast productions by the Trevor James Flute Company. For more information, visit trevorjamesflutes.com.